You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Subtext, The Projection Booth, and the Daily Meditation Podcast. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. I can't believe how fast a year went by. I'm recording this on September 30th, and the free version of this episode will drop in October, which means it's time to start Season 3 of Monster Talk. I will now be naming episodes just based on seasons. I long ago lost track of exactly what episode number we were on anyway, and it's probable at some point I'll go back and remaster the audio in the back catalog and renumber everything so that each year is a season, but I have no idea when I'll have time to do that, so for now, this is how it's going to be. It'll probably be at least next October before I have time to even consider that kind of a project. Well, it's October again now, and that means it's time for the pumpkin spice and orange and black to take over all our neighborhoods. Uh, we got some classic topics coming up for October, and we might as well kick it off with aliens and UFOs. Today, we're welcoming back fellow podcaster and weird stuff enthusiast, Laura Krantz. She has a beautiful new book out on this very topic based on season two of her excellent show, Wild Thing. This one's targeted at young readers, and it's a gorgeous book full of critical thinking and exciting facts about a topic that's often misunderstood in the public and in the media. The book's available now on pre-release, but starts shipping on October 3rd, so it will not be a long wait if you're catching this on the first day this episode drops. October's a busy month, and I've got lots of traveling to do, so let's just hop straight into the... Monster Talk. 
good to speak with you again. Yeah, no, I'm excited to do this again. I know October is your busy month, and I was like, oh, this book's coming out in October. <laughs> yeah, we we it's it, October's the month when everybody else acts like we act all year long. It's like exactly, it, it, it's yes. a little much. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get through it. Just quickly, uh, let me do one more thing. I want to grab your book so I have it in front of me. It's over behind. Sure. Me. Oh, yep. Me too. I got it right nearby. And I've got my well. I have, I gave all my copies away, so I took my husband's oh, copy back. It's I'm lovely, getting, though. Good God, what a great design! They my did son a is job. loving it too. He's, oh, good! Uh, just, just turned eight, and he really uh-huh. loves it. And uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, slowly getting through it. He's still learning to read, obviously. Yeah, and really this one. Enjoying. I mean, he's in the right age range, but this one I think skews a little bit older with vocabulary oh, and that's concepts. One of my questions. But awesome, awesome. This yeah. Is- so <laughs> let's say all of this. All well, over let's again. save that. <laughs> so let's. let's uh, yeah, this will be. Uh, t- I, w- I did hit the record button, so you know mm-hmm. our, our Patreon yeah. supporters like to have this sort of organic. Uh, uh, it's not cinema veritas, but it's whatever podcasting audio audio yeah, audio veritas. veritas, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and bloopers and yes, yeah. yes, hilarious. So did you it's get just... sound of you spilling orange Kool-Aid no, all over your that keyboard? That would have been glorious. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to reenact it? I heard the swearing. <laughs> I don't, but I do. My work computer's behind me, making all kinds of noises. I want to make that stop. That I, I normally do okay. better. What is that word? Sound hygiene. I I, I, I normally yes. do more audio hygiene. <laughs> so just a moment. Also, be right back again. Let me make that stop. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're welcoming back Laura Krantz. She is a journalist, researcher, and podcaster whose work has covered a variety of topics, including some of special interest to Monster Talk listeners. Her series, Wild Thing, started with a look at her famous relative, one of the four horsemen of Bigfoot, Dr. Grover Krantz. But she moved on to talk about other topics, including nuclear energy and aliens. And her latest book's an outgrowth of that last topic and it's targeted younger readers. I assume... In sort of the middle school to high school age, uh, we talk about that, who are interested in space, aliens, weird stuff in the sky, yet it's grounded in science and promotes critical thinking and evidence-based consideration of the ideas within that topic. So welcome back to Monster Talk, Laura Chris. I need a breath. Okay. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back here and talking to you guys again. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice. I mean, obviously, you've got that great radio voice from that NPR background. Mm-hmm. I've been practicing, drinking mm-hmm. lots of tea with honey and oh, yeah. you know, not not yelling. Yeah, well, I did that so, as an NPR listener. That was before I ever got a mic in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> not yelling, that's, that's hard. That's it tough. is difficult. <laughs> it was especially hard this morning when the cat was on the counter licking butter out of the butter dish. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, bold, bold move. Yeah. Naughty. Just Naughty. skip the toast and go straight to the butter. Nice. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I won't I won't bore you with stories about how my cats won't even come downstairs, but that's a true thing. Uh, they they're scared of my dog, and so they basically just hide upstairs like like uh, Mc, Victorian mad mad women, right? It's <laughs> just locked upstairs, <laughs> hiding out, occasionally making weird noises. Anyway, let's get started on this topic. We're here to talk about your let's. new book. Is there mm-hmm. anybody yes. out there? And I have to say, this feels like a really cool distillation of the many interesting topics you covered on season two of Wild Thing, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. And you could have done a lot of things with that research after the podcast was was done. So why did you decide to target younger readers with this one? 
So it was kind of interesting. You know, I never, when I created the podcast, I was not aiming it at kids. And this is, you know, both the the Bigfoot one, the first season and the second one, the alien one. Um, and what happened is I started to get letters from parents who were listening with their kids and teachers who were using elements of the podcast in their classrooms to talk about things like evidence, the scientific method, DNA analysis, evolution, all these different, you know, various topics. Um, and I realized that I'd probably missed part of a big chunk of my audience, which was going to be kids. And I was, I was talking to uh, my husband's literary agent. My husband's also an author. And she said, you know, there is a dearth of books that are middle grade nonfiction that don't feel kind of dry or, you know, don't address, they, they don't address interesting topics all the time. And teachers are always looking for more material on this. You should consider writing books in this area. And so that's really how it got started. I've got a copy of your book and it is just so beautiful. I love the cover on it too. And the colors, it's got a real kind of <laughs> Halloween theme to it with mm -hmm. orange and, mm -hmm. and black. And uh, I want to let you know that my eight-year-old son is loving the book so far. And so he's, in elementary school, not in middle school. So some of the words are a little tough for him, but I'm happy to work through that with him as he's uh, enjoying the book. But I wanted to ask you, is it a different process to write books for kids in terms of research and things like that? And did you find it to be harder or easier to write? That's, it's a very good question. So a lot of the material came from the podcast and people who have listened to the podcast and then look at the book will see a lot. They'll see some overlap. What was interesting for me is like, you know, you hear topics like evolution or you hear topics like, um, you know, about you, you hear these chemistry words or these words about biology or these words about space science. And as an adult, you kind of have an idea of what they are and you just sort of like gloss over that and move on with your life. Right. And what I yeah. And what I realized is as I was writing for the kid audience, I actually would need to explain this stuff. I couldn't just pretend that they knew what it was or assume that they knew what it was. And so then I find myself going down these rabbit holes of like, well, how do you explain, what's a good way to explain evolution to kids? Or what's a good way to explain like taxonomy to a kid? Like, how do you make that make sense to them? And so in some ways I was giving myself a crash course in like elementary science in order to be able to write about it for a kid's audience. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it was, I was like, wow, I, I don't think I actually knew what that meant. It was one of those things that I just kind of like had absorbed, but didn't actually really understand the process. So actually it was, it was a pretty good education for me too. The, the book is really affording lots of opportunities to discuss these concepts with my son. And so I think that's a really valuable thing. I'm very, very excited to hear that. And I know like this book, it's aimed, it's middle grade. So it's aimed at kids roughly eight to 13, but this one I feel skews maybe a touch older because some of the concepts are a little bit harder. Some of the science are, is, is an area that, you know, an eight or a nine-year-old might not necessarily have gotten to in their classes, but I'm hoping that it kind of intrigues them. And then by the time oh, they yeah. do get to that in school, they'll just be like, oh yeah, I totally know about this. Well, so absolutely. I'm thrilled that he's enjoying it. You you put in a lot of what I would call teacher candy because you've got a glossary and some end notes and uh, there's a full index. And I mean, there's lots of stuff in here for someone who's approaching this as a young researcher that you've given them lots of breadcrumbs to go out to further reading. Um, but 
what I wanted to ask about, which I found fascinating, was um, let me back up and say that I think, uh, you know, I've got kids of my own, and sometimes I can get them to read really long books. I've got one especially avid reader, voracious reader, but there's also this sort of you're competing with TikTok and Instagram oh, yeah. and all this other thing. <laughs> and, and Tell me about it. It's it, You've got this book, but yet the way it's laid out, it almost feels like it's making jump cuts in a sort of twitchified world we live in. And I love it because it's like you it's not one big pile of text. It's broken up visually and with sidebars and illustrations and changes in font and colors. So it feels like you're getting a lot of like action even though it's just text now Mm -hmm. i know as an author you wrote the book but how did the layout come to be i guess that's what i'm curious (laughs) about (laughs) i would love to take credit for that i can't draw if i had drawn this um well nobody would have published it if i had drawn it um so the the illustrations (laughs) yeah i'm like do you like stick figures bad stick figures (laughs) i can do that um My uh, publisher, which is Abrams Kid, they Abrams Kids. They've also put out books like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind. Oh, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're they're a fairly well known like kids publishing house, and they uh, had this connection to this guy named Rafael Nobre, who is Brazilian, and he did all the illustrations both for this book and for the first one, which was called The Search for Sasquatch. And so they follow the same kind of theme in terms of design um the layout is all abrams and they did a beautiful job i think i and i love the way you describe it with having like jump cuts or you know it's it's an active text as it were like there's words that pop out yeah there's sidebars that are different colors there's like interesting illustrations like it's all these things to kind of keep kids attention in topics that can sometimes feel a little dry or maybe overwhelming because it's new information or when I'm competing with TikTok and Snapchat and all the other things that I don't know about because I'm old. <laughs> sure, sure. I, yeah, uh, I, 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 it, it's very. So I don't know if you could pass that along to the book designer, but wow, nice. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I will definitely let them know. Yeah. So you cover a lot of big ideas from science uh, beyond the sort of uh, there's a weird treat inside each box promise of UFOs and aliens. You know, <laughs> so what? So there's a lot of science topics in here. What What were the sort of key ideas you wanted to get across? Or was that even how you approached this? I, I mean, I, obviously, each chapter appears to be topical, but like what what are the core concepts you wanted to communicate? I could have written like 12 volumes of this probably because there's so much material out there on space and all these different topics and different directions I could have gone. Part of it was dictated by what had been in the podcast because I had some familiarity with that and I could use some of the material from that and help flesh it out a little bit more. Um, but part of it, I mean, even with the podcast and then with the book, it's like, what are the things that fascinated me? And like, where did one question lead to the next question? So if we're talking about aliens, it's like, okay, well, is alien life, like, is, where does alien life come from? Well, where does life come from? Is life like baking a cake? Is it just a bunch of ingredients? And if we mix it together, right. And the temperature is perfect. Voila, you have a freshly baked life. Um, it's not quite as easy as that. And so it was interesting then to see how then do we look for life if we don't really know quite what it is. And then that sort of leads you down the rabbit hole of the different ways that people are looking for life on other planets. Um, my personal favorite 
was the chapter on how we would talk to aliens if they came to Earth um, or if they sent a message. And this idea of language and how we communicate and how we take a lot of communication for granted because a lot of it is body language. But if you're interacting with an alien species, like it might be completely different. They might speak using smell. Like mm-hmm. it's it's crazy to think about. And then the other thing that I really liked about this and the, what I'm hoping that kids get from it is like, we are talking about huge distances in space. We are talking about time. We are talking about like, you know, the next star system over is Alpha Centauri. And that's four and a half light years away, which doesn't sound that long, but that's at the speed of light. And our fastest like uh, probes that we currently have with our current technology, I think it would take like 37,000 years for us to get there at this point. So it's just like, even if we can find evidence of life and aliens out there, can we ever interact with them? Yeah, you're going to mm-hmm. run out of your Cool Ranch Doritos where you even get out of the solar system. It's really bad. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. (laughs) Uh, So, Laura, in order to talk about life, off our planet, you needed to to talk about life here on our planet. So what do you think about the possibility that there might be simple life in our own solar system off Earth? After talking to all these scientists, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I mean, the point that they made to me over and over again is that life on this planet, first of all, the bulk of it is microbial. You know, we don't really think about it that way because it's so small that it just doesn't really, it's, it's we're, our awareness of it, unless it's something sure. like COVID, um, doesn't really <laughs> yeah. penetrate for the most part. Um, but I think 
What was interesting to learn was it wasn't until really the 1960s when they were doing some experiments in Yellowstone. And this guy, the scientist, figured out that there were bacteria that were living in these like incredibly hot temperatures. And then all of a sudden, this whole universe, pardon the pun, opens up where you realize that there are microbes living in some of the harshest conditions. So, you know, super Mm -hmm. saline ponds with just like so salty that you can't imagine living there, Um, inside nuclear reactors, uh, really cold places, really hot places, deep in rocks. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that just opens up so many possibilities of where life might be just in our solar system. So I am like really stoked for us to get some of those samples back from Mars. I realize we're still, what, four years out from that, maybe longer. I can't remember exactly what they were thinking in terms of the like the pickup um, of the samples that the rovers are gathering on Mars. But it's like, Come on, guys, let's get those back to Earth and see what's in there. Like, it just, it's so exciting to me. Um, and to me, that feels likely in our lifetime. The stuff that is further away, you know, we might be able to get the sense of something or, you know, see like what might be signatures of an intelligent civilization. But I think that that's going to be a lot harder to confirm. Um, and I don't know that most of us are going to last long enough to actually <laughs> see the results of that. Yeah. I, I try not to think about those existential factors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> well, this is one of the things I really like about science. And I mean, I guess this is civilization in general. You know, it's building on it. It's like the scientists who are doing this work now have created the technology that's allowing us to get to some of these places or at least like see them. And then the scientists that come after are going to be building on the knowledge that we get from that. And it's like, you just kind of have to think that like, this is a continuum. This is like, it started, you know, with Galileo or probably even before that. And it just continues on. And it's kind of a neat way to think of science as this sort of thing that we hand down. And we're like, here, here's what we've created and come up with so far. We're giving it to you. It's precious. Find out more, learn more, and like keep going. And I just have always liked that element of science. Well, I know more than one person has said something along these lines, but it's it's that it's the accretion of testable ideas, and and that the results, you know, we're, we're always tr- sort of trending towards the best understanding of what reality is. But it's always provisional, right? But if, right. if it all got wiped out, like the information, but humans lived on. Theoretically, all of the scientific things that are correct, we could rediscover. You know, we you could lose a lot of stuff, but we could find these facts again. But it's better to mm-hmm. not need to. And remembering that, you know, yeah. that that being able to use the scientific method to figure out what's right and then build on that is way faster. But, you know, there's this sort of discounting of facts in our culture right now. And it seems like people, you mm-hmm. can, everybody's entitled to their own facts. I'm like, no, that's mm-hmm. not actually how that works. And I, and I know there's right. a lot of gatekeeping <laughs> yeah. around this, but it mm-hmm. does, it does, uh, I think it does well uh, for us to consider the young people because they are, if you can teach them critical thinking now, they can start sort of filtering what they take in and sort of making mm-hmm. those assessments along the way because. Uh, even if it's not a cultural value at present, it's still an important human value to sort of push on towards facts, I think. Yeah, and that was another thing with the book that I really wanted to do. You know, how are we telling science fact from science fiction? What are, like, 
what are possibilities versus like actual on the ground facts. Um, you know, the whole, there's that phrase, you know, keep an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. Like that's sort of right. generally what I'm trying to go for with this. It's like kids are going to get information from all kinds of places. You know, the social mm -hmm. media that we mentioned earlier, the neighbor down the street, grandma and grandpa, the news, their peers, there's just all this information coming at them all the time. And if I can help them figure out, okay, mm -hmm. what are the questions I need to ask to know what's useful information versus what's information that's fun to think about, but not really grounded in reality. I'm hoping that sets them up better for, you know, adulthood, because this is mm -hmm. a problem that's not going away. And I, you know, I think there's sure. a lot of adults. We, I didn't learn media literacy when I was a kid. I bet a lot of people didn't. Right. And mm -hmm. I watch friends and family get kind of taken in by stories that seem very realistic in the way that they're presented and not necessarily knowing how to ask the right questions about what's actually going on here. Where's this information coming from? What does it signify? Who's behind it? And I'm guilty of this too. Like there's plenty of stories that have come my way where I'm like either outraged or just like, whoa, that's amazing. And then you dig a little bit deeper and you're like, oh, actually this has been misrepresented or it's complete uh, BS. Sure, yeah, this yeah. is every mm -hmm. day. It's, it's <laughs> This is every yeah, day. Yeah, do the research. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's so cool. Wait. Is it though? Before yeah. I even retweet at this point, I'm like, where is this coming yeah. from? You know, it's yes. 100%. Yeah, you have to. Mm -hmm. I yeah. don't know why I said retweet, but whatever. <laughs> re, 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 X. Yeah, what, exactly. Yeah, what is it? What? <laughs> X again? X, X claim. That's what I'm calling it. X -O -O. X -O -O. <laughs> well done. You should trademark yeah. that and make Elon pay you. Yeah, a penny exactly. Yes, maybe yes. make him subscribe to my service. Yeah. <laughs> but, in, <laughs> but in all seriousness, you, 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 uh, you've done this work. You did this research for season two, and now you've carried it off into a book. So I guess one question I have is. Did this actually spark a continuing interest in the uh, the, the sort of drama of uh, uh, UFO UAP culture right now? I, I'm because you like you opened up with Amuamua, and you revisited yeah. that several times. Are you following what Avi Loeb's up to these days? Are you keeping up with any of that? Yes. Is, okay. Yeah, so it's interesting. His stuff that he was doing in Papua New Guinea, and for listeners, I don't know how familiar they are, but basically. He had traced some of the meteorites that had hit Earth. He traced them back by their speed and trajectory and math. There was math involved. I'm, I don't think I, I don't know all the scientific details, so I'm just going to sort of gloss over this part. But he was able to use <laughs> data from NASA and the government um, and other you know world bodies that track this stuff and realize that this particular meteorite that had hit probably came from outside our solar solar system, so interstellar space. Um, and what he wanted to do was see what this stuff was made of. And so by using the information that he'd found, he was able to sort of triangulate where this stuff was on the ocean floor. And then he went on this crazy mission with a trawler and some magnets and netting. And again, I'm glossing over the details, but look <laughs> it up. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get remnants of this meteorite off the ocean floor. We think that's just what that's his particular theory on it. Um, and he, it's interesting because when I interviewed him for Amuamua, he this would have been back in 2019. He was actually talking about this and trying he was in the process of trying to figure out how he would be able to do it. So it was cool to see that he found these materials. Now, of course, there are questions about whether it could have been um the, the chemical makeup of this stuff 
makes it seem very interesting and potentially from outside of our solar system. But as one scientist pointed out, it could also have been fallout from some of the nuclear testing that went on in that area that had contaminated materials and those had ended up in the ocean. So there's still science that needs to happen and there still mm -hmm. needs to be more, you know, in-depth research on this. And what I appreciate about, appreciate about Avi is that he is, he doesn't really care what anyone thinks. He has no, these ideas. Yeah. He <laughs> wants to jump after them. Um, and he's enthusiastic and he's excited about this. And this is something he wants to have the answer to, which I think is, you know, that's great. I think often science is very, very cautious for a good reason. But I think mm -hmm. having more people in it with this kind of personality or this kind of um, like, let's just go out and do it mm -hmm. is uh, that's it's not a bad thing because I think it pushes things forward and it captures the public's attention and gets sure. them to want to learn more. But um, yeah, it, it, it intrigues me that they're, they're calling these little tiny... Spherules. You know, they're calling them interstellar spherules. And, but, so basically, they're little spheres, and he's saying they're from outside of our solar system, but he right. but does not call them space balls. That doesn't seem that... It's like a miss, <laughs> right? I mean, wh why are they not uh, like, cashing maybe in? Maybe had it been you, yeah. <laughs> My guess is he never saw the movie, and so he missed the opportunity. It is possible. Merchandising. May the Schwartz be with you. Laura, we love books, but when we were reading this, we kept thinking that the the artwork really lends itself to a series of brief animated YouTube videos about the key concepts. So have you thought about doing anything like this, not to replace the book, but as some kind of promotional endeavor? I would love to do that. If there is someone out there who can do that kind of work, <laughs> yeah. please contact me. Um, I just don't have that skill set. And because I'm kind of a, a one one woman band. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that has kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, I would love to do that for the first book too. So, uh, yeah, let's let's put a call out to some put of your listeners out, and yeah. see if they have any suggestions on how we would do that and what it might look like. Because I think that would be a lot of fun and would make for some really compelling, uh, you know, material to supplement the book. Yeah. And also, yeah. you know, for kids who aren't necessarily as interested in reading but might appreciate having some sort of visual exactly type thing. Sure. Yeah. i love yeah. books but i mean i also am very aware that that's not necessarily where people are getting their information so yeah i but, feel like i'm i love books too and i feel like i'm a little bit of a dying breed but well let's hope not uh, <laughs> let's hope not come on kids go out read the book yeah 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 and adults it, it says on the cover a wild thing book and i know you've got the mm -hmm. one on bigfoot and you've got this one now are you thinking about doing more in this kind of series well, the third one, funny you mentioned this, is already written. I had to turn the manuscript in over the summer because the publishing timeline is long and mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. longer, it feels like. Um, and the third book is about the intersection of science and magic and where those two things overlap and, you know, things like how alchemy was foundational wow. to chemistry and astrology to astronomy. And then, um, you know, things like curses can work. If you really believe that you have been cursed, there are all kinds of examples of that because of something called the nocebo effect. So trying mm -hmm. to show that magic and science are not that far apart from one another. And in fact, many of the things that we now consider magic were really the science of their time. It just the tools and the knowledge they had to work with were limited. 
Right. Yeah, that's cool. We we've actually fantastic idea. Yeah, we talked about that uh, quite a few times. I think in, in the, the sort of we call it the I guess the the term the myth of disenchantment. Like this this idea mm-hmm. that I mean there is this very popular idea that you know Sir Francis Bacon invented science and after that all the other nonsense was put away and like okay well that's <laughs> definitely not what really happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I think there is that there's sort of that fine line there's that oh well now we're in the enlightenment and magic is gone and it's yes. like mm. it's not though and it still exists mm-hmm. and you have to not look through just like a western lens either. I mean culturally True. magic is all over the world and it just seems very powerful and very active and part of that is because of how you think about it. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I don't get quite into the, the philosophy as much with that. Well, it's it's for younger audiences, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, there's a chance I may turn that material into a fourth season of the podcast as well, but there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what I, the, I had originally planned to do the third podcast season about the nuclear stuff as a kid's book and the, publisher didn't want that but if anyone thinks that their kid would like stuff on nuclear energy let yeah. me know. <laughs> i would still like to write that book i think it's really interesting oh yeah i, quite. I think so too yeah well yeah. so you, you've submitted this third book and as you said mm-hmm. these things are it's a long process it's going to take a while to come out um so what's your next project going to be have you been oh. working on anything now or are you taking a break um I am not taking a break. I'm actually currently working on someone's else, someone else's podcast for a little bit. It's nice to let someone else be in charge and worry about the PR and the marketing and the, (laughs) and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the schedule and all that. And it's actually pretty far removed from all this stuff. I'm working on a podcast about, um, money and politics. Mm. Um, Oh, that's different. Yeah, it is very different. My background's in history. So I actually find this stuff very interesting. But it is a a far cry from Bigfoot and aliens. Wow! Nice change. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's kind of, it's a palate cleanser. I like. Yeah. It. yeah. And then I'll be ready to dive back in. Oh, I know what you the, mean. It's the pickle ginger. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, that's not cool. for everyone, but it works for me. So. Well, this is a, it's a really beautiful book, and I'm assuming it it's is, available it is. in bookshelves today, or is it, or is this? Pretty- it, it goes on sale on October 3rd. There we go. Uh, okay. So two weeks from today, which is September 19th. And oh, um, perfect it for Halloween. Is, yeah, it is perfect for Halloween. It is available for pre-order. If, you know, if your kids are asking questions about, you know, the Pentagon hearings about UFOs or strange alien mummies found in Mexico or, you know, planets that are millions of miles away that seem to have potential for life on them this is kind of the perfect book for them i think so too good stuff (laughs) great (laughs) awesome well i think that is all we've got for you today do you have anything else you want to tell our audience or can we cut you loose i don't think so i think we're good and unless you have any other questions for me um i feel like that we we covered some good ground i think so too this was awesome i think that's it it's good timing for the book coming out as well so perfect monster dog You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard return guest Laura Krantz introducing her new young adult nonfiction book, Is Anybody Out There? A link to that book will be in the show notes, and you can find it at booksellers near you or your favorite online reseller. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. 
Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Stay spooky, my friends. Monster House presentation.